Hey everyone, uh, Sam Mellinger here, sports columnist for the Kansas City Star and deeply appreciative of you for listening to the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. I'm excited enough about baseball's return. We'll hit it here in the lead uh, again with questions. And finally, in the bonus segment with clips of a long and really interesting interview I did in Mike Matheny's office during spring training, you know, back when you could talk to people face to face. You know, the big news this week, obviously, is baseball's return. And, and that's where we're going to start. And at least for the next few minutes, I'm going to take a break from, you know, sort of being sad at how the players and especially owners handled the last few months. I'm not yet at the part where we can talk about whether the 2020 World Series winner will be more or less legitimate than the Houston Astros. But, you know, for now, I want to talk about the Royals part in all this, Um, specifically the idea that the Royals, and I'm not here to say this is common around the game, uh, but I think the Royals might be able to benefit from this. Or at the very least, uh, maybe this is a better way of saying it, maybe they won't be as hurt by a shortened season as other clubs. You know, the the first point is probably obvious, but the Royals now have an honest-to-goodness chance at the playoffs. Seriously, uh, you know, baseball's great separator has always been the ridiculously long 162-game season. You know, you, you can't just, like, fluke your way into the playoffs, right, uh, unless uh, unless you're the eventual 2006 World Series champion St. Louis Cardinals. But, you know, the best local example of this is the 2003 Royals. You know, that was not a good team. That was a fluke. Those guys lost 100 games the year before and 310 games over the next three. But, you know, by God, they, they started that season 16-3, and three, and they were in first place into August. So, you know, over 162 a team so desperate for pitching that it signs Jose Lima, sight unseen from an independent league, based on a report that his fastball was in the mid-80s, by the way, that team would never make the playoffs. But over 60, you know, hell yeah, it's possible. Um, you know, if you're like me and into numbers, you know, Fangrass projections gave the Royals a 0.3% chance of the postseason before the world shut down. Uh, now it's around 14%. That's a chance. You know, but the the Royals could benefit in other ways, too. You might not care about this, and, um, you know, maybe you shouldn't. But the Royals' payroll was set to be somewhere north of $80 million this year. That's bottom five in baseball, but trimming payroll was always going to be a priority this year and next. Uh, the shortened season will save—think about this. The shortened season will save $20 million just on Ian Kennedy and Danny Duffy alone. Now, I'm assuming you care as much about John Sherman's profit margins as I do. But if we take him in his word and, you know, so far his actions, and I'm going to— get into that more in a column that should be on the website right now, actually, um, as you're listening to this. I hope you check it out. But, you know, he has said that owning a team is not about making money, but it's about, you know, sort of a civic responsibility. Then, you know, maybe this money that they're saving now can be pocketed for later or viewed another way, maybe trimming the losses this year. Uh, And I do believe they're going to lose money this year. I absolutely believe that, you know, means that, you know, maybe there's less of a weight on them in the future, right? Okay, so now some baseball. Um, You know, there is a real fear among some about future consequences from the shortened season, particularly when it comes to pitcher injuries. You know, teams are often dogmatic about about protecting arms, particularly with big one-year spikes in pitches and innings. Well, you know, the starting pitchers this season will likely top out around 70 innings in the regular season, maybe 80. That's leading the league type stuff. You know, last year I looked this up, there's 15 pitchers that threw more than 200 innings. So generally speaking, clubs don't like pitchers' workloads to go up more than 20 or 30% in any one year. Um, you know, that means all clubs will be dealing with a work workload issue next year. Uh, the Royals don't get an exemption from that. But their top pitching prospects are also at the point where protection is key anyway, development. So, you know, perhaps a shorter season and more control over workloads can be a benefit. You know, one more thing to note, if you're dreaming about the postseason, 
Um, Sal Perez and Adebelto Mondesi, two of the team's most important four players, I would say, along with Jorge Soler and Whit Merrifield, they're nursing injuries in the original spring training. Those should be healed now, you know, 100% ready to go for the, you know, the sprint of a season. Anyway, that's the optimistic view, right? Uh, and look, like there's nothing wrong with being optimistic right now. You know, Lord knows we've had enough of the opposite. So, okay. Uh, if you'd like to participate in next week's show, please call 816-234-4365. Anytime, day or night, uh, leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Uh, we have a great batch of questions this week, uh, which we will get to after this short break. Hi, this is uh, Vikram. I'm calling from Austin, Texas. And yesterday, one of my friends, who's a Broncos fan, sent me the article about how Patrick Mahomes might get a Whataburger uh, franchise in the Kansas City area. And uh, my friend was asking me, why is your quarterback so likable? And so it got me thinking about, like, for Kansas City sports, like, who is the last sports figure to be like a true arch nemesis. I'm, I'm too young for to remember the John Elway years. So like I'm, I'm trying to, I was trying to think of who, who from one of our rival teams, like I really hated and, and no one was coming to mind. I was curious what you all thought about it. Thanks. So old heads might argue for George Steinbrenner or something like that. But to me, you mentioned the biggest nemesis of all time and that's John Elway. Uh, it wasn't just how good he was or that, he was in the division or all the comebacks. Uh, it's also that when he retired and moved to the front office, he's the reason the Broncos landed Peyton Manning. Um, that's a hell of a track record, right? And uh, <laughs> signing Joe Flacco can only slightly soften the pain. But um, there have been other others through the years. And, uh, you know, Manning is a pretty good name. You know, of course, he, he was the quarterback on the other side of the no-punt game uh, in the postseason after the 2003 season. And, you know, there's a lot of people around town who believe that if the Chiefs get by that game, uh, they get into the Super Bowl. Their history would have been different if that happens. You know, Peyton Manning beat the Chiefs in the playoffs twice with the Colts and then was the quarterback for four straight division champions with the Broncos. But, you know, your question, you said most recent. And, you know, if we can feel, and this is how I feel anyway, but if we can feel that the 2019 Chiefs sort of, you know, exercised a tortured past, and that Tom Brady is no longer a threat, at least in the AFC, then I think Madison Bumgarner has the best case. Uh, you know, if he's not Superman in Game 7 in 2014, maybe the Royals win consecutive World Series, right? Um, you know, those teams were really evenly matched, and I thought the Royals might have actually had a slight, 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 slight edge, you know, especially at that point when they were playing so well, their bullpen sex success was was amplified. Um, you know, there's a really good case to be made that if Madison Bumgarner was merely great in that postseason and merely great in that game seven that the Royals would have won back-to-back -back World Series, you know, but my God, that was an amazing performance from him. So, okay, uh, here's a question from Andrew. Yes, this is Andrew in Des Moines, and I was wondering what this uh, postponement, late start, and financial hit uh, for baseball will do to John Sherman in his first year as an owner. How far will it put him behind uh, just in terms of profit and what he'll be able to do when it comes to whatever free agents or whatnot. Um, also, lack of development for these pitching prospects and Bobby Witt Jr. and everybody else. Uh, 
with no minor league season, how much are the Royals going to be put behind both John Sherman and his player development? Again, this is Andrew in Des Moines. Thanks. I touched on this in the league, right? But I actually think Sherman might be in better shape than most. Um, certainly, again, not saying he won't lose money. But what I am saying is that the Royals always wanted to cut payroll this year. And now their payroll for major league players goes from 80-some million to about $30 million. Um, Again, they'll miss out on stadium revenue. Um, they won't get a full first season of that new TV contract, and that's a bummer. Uh, but they also drew fewer than 1.5 million fans last year. You know, the stadium revenue for them isn't what it is for other clubs. Uh, one more thing to keep in mind, uh, if the Royals can have fans at games, they will. And I'm not being a smart ass here, but if the fan limit is like eight to 10,000 fans or whatever, that hurts the Royals a hell of a lot less than it hurts other clubs, right? So, you know, you talk about development too, and that's real. Uh, the Royals believe strongly, right, that, that you win by developing, you develop by winning. And the fewer the opportunities those prospects have right now, the less they can develop. But again, that's true for everybody. So, like, is it a disadvantage to run uphill when everybody else is running uphill too? Um, you know, at some point it becomes about maximizing your opportunities. And, you know, I also think about this, like as much as, you know, maybe we're going to see some some long term effects from Singer, Kowar, Bubik or Witt or whoever, you know, the worst thing would be if the Royals would have had this shortened season in like 2015, right? Or 2014, they never would have made that postseason um, after 60 games. So, um, you know, they can take some time right now. Okay, uh, this will be the last question for Mike Matheny. Uh, This one comes from Kate. Hi, Sam. This is Kate. Um, so my question is about these MLS games that are going to be at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock in the morning. I'm just curious how that impacts players, fans, because I know with players they have you know rituals and warm-up routines and all of that, and it's very different than playing in the early afternoon or late afternoon or evening. And then as far as fans go, so much of watching sports is watching with other people or watching at a bar or watching in different, you know, environments that may be a little bit different at eight o'clock or nine o'clock in the morning. So just curious your thoughts on that. Thanks for all your good work. Uh, for sure. It'll be different. You know, for some of these guys, maybe it's like a trip back in time, right? Uh, youth leagues and all the games are at nine and then you'd play for an hour and then try to find a McDonald's that was serving lunch. Hopefully that's not just me. Anyway, uh, teams and athletes are smarter than they've ever been, Um, or at least I think they're more conscious about acclimating to time differences and things like that. You know, if if your next game is at nine, you're changing your schedule around to practice at that time. We see that all the time from, you know, West Coast NFL teams, for instance, um, going to the East Coast and, and, and vice versa. If you're a morning person, you know, you're good with this. If you're not, you know, sports are about adjustments and that's never been truer than it is at the moment. But, you know, for fans, yeah, it's a big change. Um, You're right. Like we're used to our games being on at night after work, you know, after the kids are down, whatever. Uh, You can relax or maybe, you know, like you say, we go to the bar and have a few with a friend while the game plays. But I also know there's a certain charm in like the English Premier League matches coming on in the mornings here. Um, I love it. Like, if we don't have anything to get to, uh, I'll put the game on and, you know, while we get breakfast ready for the kids, watch it with them over eggs, you know, the game's over, we still have the whole day. It's a totally different experience than, you know, sort of having six domestics with your college buddies or whatever, but uh, I've really come to like it. So anyway, okay, that's all the time that we have for questions this week. Big thanks to everyone who called in and we're saving a few good questions back for possible use in the future, but keep them coming. Again, 816-234-4365, Four three six five. Much appreciated. Um, okay, one more quick break, and then we are back with Mike Matheny. 
You guys, come with me into a real big league clubhouse. Uh, disclaimer, what you're about to hear is clips from a conversation I had with new Royals manager Mike Matheny in his spring training office back when a lot of people had never heard of a Zoom call. The conversation is a few months old, but the substance is as relevant as ever as the Royals prepare to begin spring training 2.0 in a few days. The Royals are a changing club. That is by design. The Royals, if we're honest, had grown stale the last few years. I wrote about that quite a bit, and I hope you were paying attention because a major internal focus has been on correcting that. There is some hope that a better bullpen, particularly with power arms, can patch some of the holes from last year's team, but the front office also believes, and this is 100%, no disrespect to Ned Yost, that Matheny's energy will be good for this group. Whatever it's worth, I did sense more of that in surprise, a better energy. I assume that'll translate again when they start back up next week, but I guess we'll wait to say for sure. You know, there's a lot of change with this team and and not just the obvious with the coronavirus pandemic, right? But we're going to see that draft class of Singer, Kowar, Bubich, Lynch. We're going to see those guys start to transition to the big leagues. Uh, we're going to see the future start to come into focus. And, you know, for the first time since May of 2010, more than 10 years ago, they will be doing this with someone other than Yost as manager. Uh, full honesty here, I have long believed that the importance of a big league manager is overstated by most fans and media. Ned Yost, uh, I think, is a perfect example. Guy won a World Series when he had enough great players, and he lost 207 games the last two years when he didn't. But I do believe that a lot of a team's personality, particularly with a young team, can come from the manager. I do believe that you can get a good idea of how a franchise sees itself and how a team plans on winning from getting to know the manager. I do believe all of that's real, which is part of why I've enjoyed getting to know who Matheny is and what motivates him. The best conversation I've had with him covered about an hour in his office in Surprise. Um, I'll have a full column coming on this soon enough, but I wanted to share some clips here, you know, with baseball getting back. And, and we're going to start with the time our conversation was interrupted by Sal Perez looking for a meeting. Now, one little piece of context here. The day that we talked, this happened to be uncharacteristically rainy in the desert. Uh, the game that day would ultimately be canceled for weather. But when we, were, when we talked in his office, we were all still waiting to hear on that. Okay, anyway, here's what it sounded like. Okay, at this point, Mike goes into another room to see what's what. He's gone for maybe 15 seconds. We pick up when he w walks back into the room. It's a shift meeting. I, I wasn't picking that up. I don't know what it's shift. I don't say shift in Spanish either. Or else. I thought he was saying chief. That's yeah, he's like, what chief? <laughs> I love that clip for a lot of reasons. You can tell his guys are comfortable approaching him. He's using the Spanish that he began to learn in high school and is nearly fluent with now. And you can tell how much it bothered him when he didn't have an answer. There's no one way to lead, but I think that clip is a representation of Mike's approach. Be available, be sincere, be responsive, have a plan. This next clip is a little longer, but I want to play it whole because the context is important. One of the reactions I've heard from Royals fans about Matheny's hiring is about his faith. General Manager Dayton Moore also has a strong faith, and it's one of the many ways the two men connected. 
Major League Baseball teams are among the world's most diverse workplaces. Yes, they're all men, and the players are in their 20s and 30s, but think about it. Some have millions in the bank. Some are desperate for enough to send back home. Some are from American cities, some the country. Some grew up in comfort, others poverty. The Royals have players from five different countries. Religion is another form of diversity. Some are Catholic, some Christian, some haven't been to church in years. Some pray every day, others are agnostic or atheist. It's a lot of differences. I wanted to ask Matheny about this. We don't talk a lot about faith, at least not out in the open, but it's an important part about who he is, and at least in my mind, a potential landmine for anyone trying to lead such a diverse group. I asked him about this, and I use that word, landmine. I've edited the answer for brevity, but it's worth noting that part of what I cut was him saying love is the most misunderstood word in the language. When he uses it, he means a deep and genuine concern for someone. Okay, here's Mike. I don't think it's ever, it's it's very rare to have that conversation of, hey, tell me about faith. It's, I got this going on in life. Yeah, right. That's usually the conversation. And, And it comes down to, relationships and you know wives girlfriends kids um troubles with outside family troubles with navigating issues that they've got themselves into and um i just try and give them some direction of hey this is this is what i believe is right um haven't i don't always get it right myself you know this is stuff i'm trying to figure out on my own too and um but i've you know the actual um, deep dive into uh, personal faith isn't something that that happens in there very often. It's more just life and it's more uh, authenticity. Right? Yeah, it is. But I, I the only um, I don't know. I, I would guess the only how'd you phrase it roadblock or hurdle or um, yeah. You just it's always out there. Um, whenever you, you make a stand for anything, right? Um, I think there's always that ability for someone to misinterpret that that's how they're being uh, evaluated, right? Or that's how they're being compared um, or judged, which is the worst. And that, that's what you just, you hope by the daily investment into these guys, regardless of where they are, um, and just the, con- the constant communication of, hey, uh, this is where you are, this is something that's happened, let's get real about this, um, that they see it. There's, there's just not a judgment. That it is a true, it's a true, once again, throw the love word out the door. It's a true and genuine concern for you. And you can call it whatever you want. But if I have a true and genuine concern for you, um, we got a job to do, we got tough decisions to make, it might not always go the way that you want them to. But I, I have a responsibility to this organization and this club. And over top of that, yeah, I've got some things that I believe I need to be held accountable to, which I believe actually makes me better at what I do, yep. makes me better at how I represent this organization. And truly, if I, when I get it right, makes me better at how I treat each individual person when I get it right. Yeah. Um, that was deep. That was. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate you talking to me about that. Uh, you don't, like, people don't have those conversations no, it's like just such a slippery slope. You yeah. know, it is, and yeah, I, I wish it weren't. And I think it's our responsibility to to live it out. You know, to yeah. where these guys truly, like, hey, man, I don't believe anything that guy believes, except I know he cares for me. Right. That's where I want to be. Right. Man, that that's it. Yeah. And and I believe that 
truly should say everything about what I believe without me ever having to say a word about what I believe. If you, make sure that makes it in there, all right? It's interesting, right? I mean, no matter where you are in religion, there's some stuff in there, some real stuff. A window into a man's heart, a better idea of how the royal's new leader plans to do his job, how he sees the world. Look, I can't say whether Matheny will end up successful here. That's a topic for a different week and probably depends a lot more on how good his players are than anything else, right? But I can't say I better understand who Mike Matheny is, and I'm thankful for the time and openness. I hope you agree. Okay, guys, uh, really appreciate your time here. Uh, thanks to everybody that's been listening. Thanks to any new listeners. I hope we're worth it, and I hope you give us another chance next week. Uh, big thanks to uh, both Randy Mason and Savannah Smith for their help, and uh, help. Uh, thanks for everyone that, that called in, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you. <laughs>